Australia. Quake Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quake Cooper is the man. Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. I'm your host, Mitch. Joined, as always... Well, I'm back this week. I missed last You're week. You're back. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Ando. How are you, Ando? Mate, I am very, very good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Bit tired, bit jet-lagged, but... um. Back in the country from from a few weeks or ten days in Thailand, so feeling refreshed and recharged and ready to go. Good news. Glad to have you back, mate. It was. Um, I'm just looking at our Super Brew results, which we'll get to in a second. How stoked were you at picking it on the nose, getting the Aussie result by five? I picked that as well, and I'm just looking at it now. So did Julia Matha, Tasha. Um, so there's a few of us that picked it exact, but unfortunately, did not get the England prediction. <laughs> That's right. I think we both did that. So we're we're not featured in either result. But let's uh let's dive through the results for Super Brew. So this was the final round of the Autumn Nation series. So well done to everyone who did participate. And if you do want to be involved next year, we will also run one of these for Super Rugby Pacific and probably the World Cup as well. So yeah, not sure so those we'll, are the main two. Those are the main ones that we'll be doing. Yeah, not sure if we'll do this for we'll use the exact same platform or if we'll use something else. Last this year. Um, Super Rugby Pacific launched their own one, which looked pretty cool. So we might try that out and see if we uh, go with that platform. But if we'll let everyone know what we're going to do next year. But uh, so the results for round five. So Jack took out the yellow cap on three and a half points, followed closely by AK on three points with Toombs and Harold Holt all on three points. So well done to Jack for the yellow cap there. Uh, and then since it was the last game of the round, we have finished the comp and well done to Boat Race Captain, who's taken out first place. Uh, on 31.08 points, followed closely by Mero on 30.5 points and Sensation in third on 30.25 points. Uh, do we need to mention the next two people? Th- four no, and five? no, we I mean, definitely they were, don't. They were definitely talking up this as a very easy competition and since neither of them finished in the top three, let's, uh, let's not Can't mention that easy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, if people are wanting to find us, obviously you've got where this podcast is on all major platforms. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Twitter being the most active of those, although we're still doing a lot of uh, partnerships with Scrum Bags over on Instagram. And it was great to have Lockie on a pod last week. Um, really, really nice to have a chat. Great guy, good ideas, and hopefully we'll get him back on soon. So thanks for joining us, Lockie, over at Scrum Bags. Mitch, what are we going to be talking about tonight? Uh, we'll start off with the Wallabies and Wales game and we'll we'll go through our thoughts on that and then we'll dive into the locker room. And Ando put a, a post out yesterday on Sunday and that's got a lot of responses. So I feel like the majority of this pod will probably be the locker room, but that's great because we want to hear your thoughts and we've got a lot of comments and a lot of questions come in from people. So I'm very much looking forward to running through those. Completely agreed. Well, mate, without any further ado, oh, wait, there is one further ado that we do need to do. And that is a reminder or an update or an announcement that in a couple of weeks time, I'm not going to say the exact date yet because these things are always a little bit fluid. We are going to be having the Royal Rumble to end all Royal Rumbles. 
So we're going to be getting together with a whole bunch of the Aussie rugby podcasts and doing an Australian Rugby Royal Rumble where we unpack or um, actually, no, we pack up 2022. We do a bit of a review, a bit of a debrief live on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and you guys can participate. So it's likely going to be a Sunday night in a couple of weeks time, but we will confirm that date with you a little bit closer too. So make sure you get involved, put in your calendars when we give you the date and make sure you join us because we'd love to have your company. Yeah, very much looking forward to that. Lots of different podcasts this time as well, not just the regular crew. So hopefully we've got some new faces as well to introduce to that one, but very much looking forward to that. So uh, let's just dive into this week's content. All right, let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, we begin the first section of our pod now by looking at the epic come from behind victory by the Wallabies against Wales. So often these close run matches in 2022 have not gone the Wallabies way, but this time we were the ones cheering. And this means that until February, we can bask in the glory of a Wallabies win. Mitch, how good was it to finish a game with the Wallabies being the one to steal the victory? It's a, it was a very weird game. Halfway through the match, uh, 55th minute, I think it was, we were down 34-13. And I'm sitting there just thinking, the, even even Sean on the commentary said something like, oh, the game's getting away from the Aussies here. And I was just thinking, here we go again. Like the team we've announced, the injuries we've had, the tail of 2022 has really just come to bite us on the butt and we're finishing the series really in a poor fashion. But... The reserves came on, the boys dug in deep, Mark Nwanganitawasi pulled out all the stops, and uh, 39-34 final victory. So very, very happy that the Wallabies were able to get that um, that victory and able to sort of dig in so deep to do it. But at the same time, it wasn't a very polished performance in a lot of ways. And I think in some ways, uh, the yellow card towards the end for Wales um, sort of their wheels fell off from there. And so yeah, I think that yeah. papered over a lot of the cracks that, uh, you know, we, we we sit here and we talk about how good it was that they did win, and it was good for them to dig to dig deep and to to do that. But there was also uh, some pretty bad stuff earlier in the first half. Yeah, definitely. And so there's a few things that we'll be unpacking. But I mean, this coming back from 34 to 13 down in the 52nd minute to come back and win the game, keep Wales scoreless for the final 30 minutes of the match, is an incredible achievement. And it is true that the first 50 minutes were not a particularly good performance from the Wallabies. I'd even go as far to say as it was a poor, it was a bad performance. And really, a really simple observation is that at key points throughout that first half, particularly defensively, we looked like a team that hadn't played together very much. And you saw that a number of times with the early line breaks that Wales were able to make. Um, there were a couple of those where Lange Gleeson dropped off a couple of tackles. He cut in on um, def- on attackers when he should have kind of let the inside covering defence take it. You saw Jordan Pattaya and Tom Wright bite in at different sides of the field as they were the final defender when they should have stayed out on their man. There was just incorrect defensive decisions being made because we'd had yet again a team which had been forced to make multiple replacements as a result of injuries from the previous weekend's match. That's right. And and even like some of the just the set piece was going both ways. The first scrum was predominant to Australia and then the second scrum was pulled against us and so it was never 
neither side really started to gain a lot of ascendancy there. It was never like one team really uh, put in a massive performance and was winning set piece and set piece lineouts and and malls and uh, and scrums. If if you were to say one team was more dominant than the other, it would definitely be Wales. They scored some good meters and a yep. lot of meters yep. through our uh, through our mall defense, which just in particularly for the starters was not up to scratch this week. Yep. Yep, agreed. It kind of reminded me of um, some of the issues the Wallaroos were having with their mall defence uh, in the World Cup, where they were just way too high in their body height within the defence uh, and not having one of those dominant figures such as a Will Skelton or a Rory Arnold was making that really difficult. Or even to his credit, Darcy Swain, who for uh, some of the faults that he has within his game just absolutely destroys malls defensively. So... We really, really struggled in that area. And one of the points that I found really interesting was in, you remember that that sequence of scrum penalties that we received uh, in the kind of 39th to 42nd minute of Mm -hmm. the first half? Yeah. There were four, three or four scrum penalties called against us as we're defending our line. But a couple of them, I just thought, mate, that is such a joke. I don't know how you're calling that against us when why would the Wallabies be um, crabbing the scrum across towards the center of the field to make the blind side bigger, so they've got the Welsh have more space to run into. Well, and and so he's yeah, yeah and, he's and, p- and the Wallabies point, for not keeping it straight, like keeping it steady when it's in their advantage to be doing that. It just didn't make sense. And he was penalized. He started penalizing El Altoa for not scrummaging straight, and then he started pinging slipper for it. And we did well to keep Wales out and hold them up over the line. Went into the half. Slipper fails, the HI doesn't come back. Tom Robinson, his, his replacement, does one scrum and gets goes down and gets a yellow card. And it's like the referee hadn't even given him a warning, <laughs> a new player on the field. But he had been, yep. it was a, he was giving penalties to Slipper and Al Alatoa. It wasn't like it was one side of the scrum that was worse than the other. Yeah, it was just one of those. I, th- I think for that, it's one of those um, team, team warnings. So the next one was going to the bin regardless of who it was. So I think... Whilst Tom Robertson didn't have a game that he'll probably write home about, uh, I think that in that case, he was un- unfortunate to be the one who receives the punishment for the team penalties. Uh, but let, why don't we start off with a little bit more structure? Now we've talked about just some of the moments that kind of jumped out, out to us immediately. You can't go past the efforts of Mark Nawanganitawase. And for those of you who don't know how to say the name, Nawanganitawase. It's not that hard. Learn it. Learn how to spell it because you're going to be saying it and writing it a lot over the coming years. He was electric in his best performance of his two for the Wallabies in the gold. Definitely. Both Nwanganitawasi and Jordan Pattaya had really good inputs, particularly uh, in the kickoff area. And Jordan Pattaya particularly did very mm. well in getting up yep. and... Uh, I think the first time he went up for the ball, he actually tried to sort of regather it and end up knocking it on. But from then on, he was just getting high and tapping the ball back, which was really effective. And it's one area that we've spoken about, not just in the Wallabies game, but Australian rugby in general, the Wallaroos, the Sevens team, is the ability to regather our own kickoffs. And uh, we did that really well this week. Jordan Pattaya, both along with Marky Mark, were able to get up high in the air and to put Wales under pressure, which was really, really awesome to see. Yeah, definitely. So I think um, there's a few players. Why, why don't we go through some of the players that really stood out to us? I think Noanganitawase, I just do want to spend a little bit more time on yep. him before we move on because he has, in many ways, had the most meteoric rise within the Wallabies outfit. And if we're looking for, as as we discussed within the locker room later on, 
if we're looking for one player who has had his star rise and shine above everybody else's to it, it is undoubtedly been Nwangani Tawase. I mean, he didn't really justify his place within the world, within the Waratah squad at the beginning of the Super Rugby Pacific season. He was justifiably being kept out because he hadn't been playing particularly well in the trial games down in Bowral and the like. Mm -hmm. Then he forces his way in, takes the opportunities uh, for the Waratahs. Then due to some injuries and late uh, removals, gets an opportunity with Australia A, is the standout wing performer within the Australia A program, comes on tour and gets his runs and has made every single opportunity count in the absence of Marika Corombete. And so he is one of those players. I don't think um, he, I mean, obviously it's his second game, so we can't claim that he's like the Messiah. He is the finished product or anything like that. But in the two showings that he's had, he's shown an incredible amount of promise and he was a deserved man of the match this weekend. And the thing that is so good about the performance he's put in these last two weeks is that teams don't yet know how to defend him. So he's a bit of a unknown quantity at the moment. And so he, as, as we said, he's played Australia A, he's played Super Rugby, but he hasn't played on the international uh, arena that much. So teams weren't quite sure whether he was going to be able to get the ball high. They weren't quite sure if he was going to be able to pick up pick and drives in the middle of the field. And he just made himself so busy in these games that not only yep. was he finishing off tries really well for the Wallabies when he was in the right position at the right time, but he also went looking for the ball in the midfield, was making meters in the, in like running lines off uh, Ben Donaldson and, and Noel Alessio, Lenny Catau. Uh, yep. he, he just had, he just showed he's more than a one trick pony, which I think a lot of teams are now going to start realizing that he's a player like Marika Corabetti that you can't afford to not mark up against. And there's three areas, and I'll just fly through these really quickly that have impressed me. One is his kick receipts, particularly his capacity that he showed in the last game um, against Ireland to be able to be marking the ball above his head, which in my mind is a skill that he's picked up within the sevens because that's something that they really, really uh, emphasize there. Uh, the second point is the fact that in his first try, he gets the ball from almost a standing start and then completely stands up Alex Cuthbert on the wing. So he gets the ball and he kind of fakes inside, goes back out and gets the ball down in the corner without getting pushed out. And the third one, that beautiful line-off move, uh, line-out move off the back of the line-out where Lockie Wanagan goes around, pops it back inside to Noongan Itawase. They exploit the space where Jamie Tipperick um, would have been, uh, Justin Tipperick would have been after the yellow card and he just powers through, rides the contact over for the try. So within those three areas, he's displayed a wider skill set where we used to just think that he was a player that could do those really nice kind of flying tries in the corner in a kind of a rugby league style. But he's demonstrating that, like you said, he's not a one-trick pony, and that's incredibly exciting to see. So, Mitch, and who else? I just else? wanted to say before oh, we move off, off this, um, we need to, again, mention how critical and how important the Australia A program has been. Yeah. To the Wallabies, really. I think we'll talk about it later in... There's a question or two that's come in from the locker room. But Mark Nwonganidawasi is currently a Wallaby purely based on his performance in the Australia A program. If we didn't have that this year, he would have finished Super Rugby Pacific with the Waratahs, then gone over to... Where was the Commonwealth Games this year? Oh, Commonwealth Games, Birmingham. Birmingham, yeah. So he went over with the Australian yep. Sevens team and performed there. Um, and then that was most likely the end of his tour. If we didn't have Australia A, he's then gone off and played Australia A, performed really well, particularly in that last tour against Japan, which has now seen him picked on the end of year tour. He's now 
been selected for the Wallabies, made his debut, and when there's now people talking about him being a potential bolter as a starting wing spot for the Wallabies in their first game in 2023. Now, that is just an absolutely crazy rise, and if no one can sort of say, this would not have happened if we didn't have Australia A, there is the value in that program. Rugby Australia needs to invest in this and expand on this in coming years. Focusing back on the game, we've spoken about Nwanganitawase at length now. Who else, as a Wallabies player, stood out for you? Um, I'll go with Nost Lonigan. Yeah. The, awesome. the probably Lonigan brother you were hoping, the other Lonigan <laughs> brother than you were hoping would yep. be in the squad. But uh, yep. his impact off the bench was fantastic. He did everything he needed to do. He he hit his mark on the line out. He scrummaged well. Uh, he scored that match-winning try at the end there and then not even being happy enough with that, got the turnover right on the death bell and, and kicked the ball out. So um, we've been talking about the fourth or fifth sort of selection of hooker, who is sort of even a third at the moment, is shaping to be that person. Nost Lonergan is really starting to form as that real good option there for the Wallabies. Yep. Yep. Um, player who stood out for me, I think I can't really go past Lenny Kitao. He is, I think, over the last two or three weeks, been getting a bit more uh, public recognition for the quality play that he has been providing in that 13 channel. But he is probably the most consistent quality performer within the Wallabies for 2022. Uh, I think he's missed one game through injury, if that is correct, and then came off the bench on his return from that injury. So apart from that, he's played every uh, every game and nearly every minute. So he's just an absolutely incredible player, that rock at 13. And within this game, I was really impressed with how they were using him as a clearance kicker. Mm. So a lot of the time when we're maybe taking a scrum or a line out uh, within our own 22, we'd actually play the ball quite wide. Um, maybe two two passes wide from the set piece and it'd be out to Ikitao would just use his left boot and absolutely hoof it downfield. And because the running threat had forced the Welsh def- defenders to come up a little bit just in case the Wallabies did actually run it from their own 22, that then meant that most of the time Ikitao's getting it over the heads of yep. the Welsh back three. And so they're having to turn and we're getting we're winning the kicking battle as a result of finding that space behind the French back three. Really loved it. Um, Pattaya did quite well with his kicking too. I think in in uh, combination with Ikitao, I think Jock Campbell as well, when he came on, uh, he had a really positive impact on our kicking game and both him and Len Ikitao together, once Wales lost their fullback and had to sort of shuffle their back line around to try and fill that space, found that there was room back there and when they kicked to it, they made metres and that was uh, really effective. One thing good thing to see uh, a fullback coming in off the bench and having impact like that. Tom Wright, not so much the impact I think that we were kind of hoping for. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I didn't think Tom Wright was particularly poor. Um, I actually think he was pretty solid. He made one absolutely horrific blunder, which I think he's like, he's down for one blunder every two games, I reckon. Uh, and, and it's a bad one, not just a small knock-on. This this was the knock-on off the kickoff after we yeah. just got into the lead in the 78th minute of the game or 70, yeah. Yeah, 78 or something like that. And I was just thinking to myself, oh, my God, you've just dropped this the game. It. You've just lost us the game in that one, <laughs> in that one moment. This is it, yeah. This is it. This is it. Um, but why don't we flip the ledger just a little bit and we aren't people who like ripping into players, but we will just comment briefly on 
some of the players that we think maybe didn't have their best game. Uh, the person that I'm going to speak to is Langy Gleeson. Ooh. Now, yeah, I, I, well, no, no, not harsh. So his stats don't make particularly good reading. In 50 minutes, he ran the ball twice as a number eight for 13 metres with no tackle bust, no offloads, and he attempted eight tackles and missed two of them. So for an 80%, um, 80% record. And I was taking a look. You know how in the early oh, 30 minutes of the game, the Welsh uh, forwards or the Welsh attacking play was able to make a number of line breaks against the Wallabies defensive line. We had three of them against Australia in the first 25 minutes, and two of them were because of Gleeson missing tackles on the Welsh defenders. So immediately the pressure that we were um, receiving within that first 30 minutes, a portion of that was because of Gleeson's inaccuracy. Now, part of that is because he hadn't played with the players inside and outside of him. So a couple of times um, the Welsh were targeting the seam between him as number eight and Hodge defending in that first channel, um, despite being 12, he was defending in that 10 position. And so the Welsh are doing well to hit that seam, but yeah, Gleeson for my mind did not have a particularly good game and you could see the difference in energy and impact upon the game when Samu came on to replace him in about the 50th minute. Yeah, I think I also feel like it's a little bit harsh though. Like we're looking at a player who's never started for the Wallabies before. Again, like Noonga Nidawasi, this is his breakout year in Super Rugby. He wasn't even named in the Waratah squad at the beginning of the year. He got named or brought into the squad halfway through the season from Manly after a good year with uh, Manly in the Shoot Shield, and then through Australia A has also had time. So he is a young player. I think he had some good involvements. He made that massive tackle oh, in the like, that one third or fifth hit. minute. Um, yep. He does... It's like we've sort of been saying, similar to kind of Harry Wilson. Harry Wilson has the ability to impose himself on games at times, but at other times can sort of go missing a little bit. And I think that was sort of what we saw this week. Uh, with Lange Gleeson, like you were saying, in and out of the game. I think that came down to just his overall uh, uh, development and where he's kind of at. I, I don't expect it to be something we'll see consistently moving forward. But when you compare him to a player like Samu, Samu comes off the bench, has a massive impact on the game, changes things. But he's also, what, a 35-40 cap Wallaby yeah. by this point, yeah. and he's nearly, like, 10 years older than Gleeson. So... <laughs> Yeah, two ends of a different spectrum. Sure, fair enough. Um, who else would you be saying is a player that maybe didn't have the best night at the office? My Mine's probably as controversial as yours. I'm going with um, another back row player in the Ford pack, so I'll, I'll go with Fraser McWright. I didn't think that he had a great game either. I thought he, the impact that Samu had, like we're saying for Gleeson, was as stark to McWright when he... Uh, when he when Samu came on, I thought he gave away a number of penalties in the first half that were unjust or unneeded, just unnecessary things like going off his feet at the breakdown or coming in from the side and just little sloppy things when we've been talking about and no doubt the Wallabies have been talking about their discipline throughout the week and leading into this game and he gave away some really uh, simple penalties that didn't need to be given away unnecessarily. Um, he also, in a few of the more defences, when you look at what Samu did when he came on, Fraser McWright was kind of caught a few times just standing with his like shoulder against the maw, but was clearly just moving backwards and not having too much of an impact. Whereas I guess Samu, again, coming from the Brumbies, has 
mauling is their way of life down there in Canberra. But um, that's one thing that Fraser McRae didn't do so well this week. It reminds me of that post that Benny Darwin put up on Twitter maybe a week ago where it was a photo of Michael Hooper kind of on the side of a scrum with his head up watching the play. And the words were to the effect of this is the most heartbreaking thing that you can see as a prop. Uh, and it's just the idea that um, open sides often have their head up trying to look and see where the play is going. When the ball's out, break yeah. Out. Yeah, but it just means that they're not actually supporting the um, the prop whose uh, butt their shoulder should be inside of. Um, but either way, I, I think much like you thought my Gleason comment was maybe a little bit harsh, I think maybe that McWright comment's a little bit harsh, but hey, Guess what? You're allowed your opinion. And yeah. he kind of backed it up. So that's okay. Uh, so why don't we move on and just focus on a couple of moments that caught our eye. Now I'm going oh, I've got to one skip. question for you ooh, ooh, uh, on ooh, players ooh. who didn't perform too well. Yep. Um, and this this hurts me as a Waratahs fan sitting here. But <laughs> yep. have have we seen the last minutes of Jake Gordon as that's, not necessarily yeah. a wallaby, but ne- probably a wallaby in the next 12 to 18 months? So that is actually uh, where I was about to go in terms of moments that caught my eye. So I was going to talk about Gordon's yellow card. So uh, for those of you who aren't, well, no, everybody should know, Gordon got yet another yellow card. And this time what basically happened is that Wales had made a breakdown the near wing, the near touchline. It was Geordie Pattaya who actually jammed in and didn't trust the inside cover defence. And so that meant that Wales got a bit of a half break, got really close to the line. Gordon tries to um, get back on side and has his foot slightly over the line and then dives forward trying to disrupt the scrum half who's clearing the ball and either knocks it on within the tackle or deliberately knocks it down or is simply offside and either way gets yellow carded for it before slowing the play down on a break. So I don't really have much of an issue with the yellow card, right? I'm totally okay with that point. Mm -hmm. The problem is I want to slightly defend it because it's not as though he's making a super dumb mistake. It isn't, if you actually look at where his foot is, it's perhaps an inch. It is a matter of centimeters, the mistake that he's made, which has resulted in a yellow card. And if we were just going to be judging him and his suitability for future opportunities for performances based upon that one thing, I think it'd be harsh, right? But the reality is this is now a pattern. This is now what, the second of the tour? Is it the third of the tour? Um, I really should know this, second of the tour. And he is now just getting a bit of a reputation. He's for for these types of moments. And with the way in which Tate played coming on in about the 53rd, 54th minute, Tate was really good when he came onto the field. I think that Rennie and the coaches are going to have to have a serious conversation, say, you need to improve your discipline. We need to see it across the entirety of Super Rugby Pacific. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to pick you in the 23 because we can't trust that you are going to um, not draw another bloody yellow card. Uh, I mean, I I hear what you're saying and I agree wholeheartedly. I think that's one thing that the Wallabies, uh, coaches need to be having those discussions with players. But listening to Dave Rennie in the post-match press, not even the presser, but just the post-match interview. On the field afterwards, yeah. Yeah, he kind of said, oh, you know, we thought Tate was hard. Uh, not, uh, he thought Jake, was, um, hard Jake was hard done by. He did everything he could to get back, toe marginally over the line, and he gets pinged for that. Like it, it felt like Dave Rennie was saying, "I don't think yeah, he's doing what we want. He's showing. He's putting his body on the line. He's doing what we want. He's getting up. He's trying to 
defend the line there. He's not viewing this as, oh, he's giving away a yellow card. Falau Fainga, yeah. for yep. example, that's a, a discussion that you need to have the neck roll last week. Um, mm-hmm. This one, marginal, marginal calls. And I thought, I really thought all cards par the pro, the uh, the trip from the, the yeah. was he the captain yep. at the time? He, yeah, yeah. Justin yeah, so apart yeah he's the, the captain. Apart from the trip, all other yellow cards for both teams, I thought were very harsh and, and probably marginal calls that could realistically not have been called. Did, did you think the um, the deliberate pulling down of the scrum for the penalty try was marginal? The mall. The mall, sorry. The yeah, now yeah. if you listen to Luke Pierce, Pierce. the yeah. touch judge at the time, he yep. comes on and says, we need to determine whether he's in goal or not. Because if he's in the field yep. of play, it's fine. Uh, no, if he's if he's in goal, it's Correct, fine. Correct, because there's no offside line. Because there's yep. no offside line. So what he's done isn't illegal. And so yep. they sort of looked at that, but sort of didn't. And I thought he was enough in goal that he was probably more so. It's because his hands he when he's on the ground and people start tripping over him are in the field of play. So that's what um, that's yeah. what made so, it into that yellow card offense. That's right. And so what I'm saying, what I, what I thought in, in both of those instances, really, in Jake Gordon's and his, that we're looking at like centimeters in it to mm. determine whether they're mm. infield or not and whether they've done yep. something that's, affected the play. So, I mean, I would have been fine with that not being given a yellow card. Um, I would have been fine with Jake Gordon's also not being given a yellow card, but <laughs> I'm also fine with them being yellow cards. I just thought that they were technically harsh. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so a couple of other big moments or things that I wanted to point out kind of before we move on. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll put a point forward, then we'll hear from what you wanted to add as well. I thought Wales had one of their best attacking games for the first 40, 50 minutes. And then they completely just crapped the bed for the rest of the second half, particularly once Gareth Anscombe went off with his pop shoulder. So the Welsh attack within the first 30 minutes particularly was everything that I wanted, that I want the Wallabies forward attack to be. It's that idea of um, providing different pictures and different opportunities Mm -hmm. for the defence. So the front player of the forward pod will get the ball and then they'll pop it one pass in or one pass out. And it just means that that ball carrier, if they're passing, if the front guy is passing at the line when he's about to get tackled, then gets the extra two or three meters over the advantage line. And that means that forwards are then running onto it as they're coming around the corner rather than having to backtrack further. Wales were doing that so incredibly well. And then forcing overlaps on either side of the ball with really nice unders lines from the wide players coming back in against the grain. So many times they were doing that and the Aussie defence was struggling. I thought that Wales were were really improved, particularly within that first kind of 40 to 50 minutes. But then then things massively turned around and they just had little to no capacity to actually um, roll with the punches and actually defend against a... Because um, they were only down by one man for... Uh, I should know it was only Australia that was down by by two men for like one minute. They, yep. There's overlap for quite a long time. But yeah, I was really impressed by the Welsh attack for a large portion of that game. Yeah, and I think one of the things like from a Wallopies perspective, looking at those those areas and when Wales was dominant, that it really felt like the forward pack at that time didn't have an answer to what they were going to do. They lacked leadership. Slipper was off by that point. Tom Robinson had come on to replace him and then been yellow carded. They then had to bring on Sam Talakai for his debut. So we've got Alan Alatoa, uh, uh, and Gaa and and uh, Sam Talakai as the front row. We've got really inexperienced forward pod 
relatively speaking, in terms of international caps. And I think what they, they were starting to give away penalties. The referee was starting to, to critique them a lot more harder than um, what he was doing in some ways to Wales. So they were on the back foot. They, the mall, Wales mall was just driving through them. They're giving away penalties for offside, for coming in the wrong angles. It really looked like Wales, uh, Australia didn't have an answer or what they were, they were afraid to sort of yep. defend too harshly to give away that next penalty. Um, yep. Because at, at that point, there was a number of times in this game where the referee said, Australia, you need to fix your discipline or the next person's going to the bin. And so we already lost two players to the sin bin, but he was threatening with more. And when we saw the players come on, the substitutes, Nos Lonigan, uh, Samu, uh, not Samu, Pete Samu, they came on, they had impact, and they sort of changed the direction of the Wallabies' attack, and they um, they gave a little bit more direction to the back line and were feeding the backs a little bit more than what the, the starting forwards were. Yep. Yep. Look, to be honest, there are a few things that we need to remember. This is a Welsh team which has had an incredibly poor year. It's also an Australian team that's had an incredibly poor year. And although there were some bright moments for both teams, first 50 minutes for uh, Wales, last 30 minutes for the Wallabies, I think that both teams will have a lot that they are taking out of this game as work-ons and areas for improvement. I think we as Wallabies fans obviously will be happier because we won. What a great statement. But from the fact that we had only 25 players left in our touring team and we still managed to come away with a win, against Wales at Principality Stadium. And I find it incredibly hard to say that. I'm so used to saying Millennium Stadium, <laughs> but we'll get over it. So look, it's just great to be able to end the season on a on a high, on a win and an encouraging win where Nos Lonergan goes from hero to villain to hero within <laughs> three minutes, gets a try, gives away a penalty, gets a turnover and kicks the ball out to finish the game. So he had a very, very up and down last couple of minutes, um, much like my heart rate and those of the people that were watching too. But we <laughs> finished around Australia. Yep. We finished on a win. You can't ask for much more within the final game. And now we get to ride that feeling home for the next couple of months. How do you feel if we briefly touch on the England South Africa game? Sure. Um, well, I'll run through the score and you yep, can say ahead. any thoughts you had. Um, yep. So South Africa absolutely trounced England in this game at Twickenham. Uh, 27-13 was the final score. A pretty dominant performance by South yeah. Africa in nearly every facet of the game. England, some big questions coming up against England in this one. A lot of pressure that's now being put on Eddie Jones. Definitely. And I think that is the big story that's coming out. Personally, I think it's too late to make any change. But... When you consider that England's only try came within in the 71st minute. So up until that point of the game, it was actually, um, what was it? What was it? Six to 27 until the 70th minute. So it just shows how dominant South Africa had been. And also there are just some big questions over the ability of this England team to continue to show the type of performances that they had shown maybe two or three years ago. It seems like a bunch of players aren't at the same level as they were. You look at some of the guys like Amaru Itoje, um, you look at Mako Vunapola, yeah, Billy Vunapola. Yeah. Um, maybe you can ask some questions over um, Owen Farrell as well, just because particularly his goal kicking at the start of the game was horrific. There was like, a really, really bad. There was a moment. Um, I think the first shot. Well, the second shot that he missed. Second, second. Yeah, you can just hear him swearing at himself. It's and going the, f off. <laughs> and 
the camera then pans and shows him swearing at him. <laughs> Who yep. are you swearing at? You missed. Yeah, I think he uh, has high personal standards and he knows the conversations that daddy's going to have with him when he gets home. (laughs) Um, But either way, look, I'm not saying they're bad players, but they're not playing at the level that they were maybe 18 months ago, particularly even for the England series, a few of the players. Um, So there's just something off within the England setup and I can't wait to read whatever book Eddie puts out about this process in a year or two's time. It's so interesting because they came down to Australia and they won the series 2-3. Or 2-1, sorry, (laughs) 2-1. They won the series 2-1. And everyone in England was really happy with that result. They were all, like, we were in the press conference in that last test and all the English press were really happy and talking to the players, like, you've done well. This has been a great series to come to Australia and beat them 2-1, da-da-da-da. They then go to the European or the Autumn Nation series and they've won one out of four, I think it was. Um, And now everyone's calling for Eddie Jones to be sacked. So... It's it's a fickle game sometimes, rugby. At one minute in the year, you're the hero when you, you know, you're know you talking about how you're looking forward to the World Cup and you're happy where your team's at and then you lose three games on the trot and now everyone's saying that you need to be sacked, your team's rudderless, you don't know where you're going, you don't know what's happening. Um, and yeah, it, it big, big calls and big time for the next few months for England, I think. Yeah, yeah, I you couldn't have said it any better. I'm pretty happy for us to leave it there and just continue on because we have so much to get through with the locker room. I'm really excited to uh, hear from the fans. We really do. Let's uh, let's dive into it. Let's go. Time to enter the locker room now. And we have had a lot of responses to our tweet, our Facebook posts and our Instagram posts this week. So, Ando, you put it out there. You've asked for people's thoughts, their uh, wish list, their scores. Why don't you run us through the results? Easy. Very, very keen. So, what I might do is I'm just going to quickly run through everybody's name who responded particularly to uh, the, the specific questions that I asked. And they were, what's your rating out of 10 for the spring tour? Who are the rising stars? Whose stocks are falling? And what is your wish list for 2023 prior to the Rugby World Cup? So thank you to Scrumbags, Sheepy, Hugh Tyndall, Jock Cudmore, Rugby Fixation Podcast, Kick the Ref and the Ghoulies, Mick Ryan, Mick Ryan, Siggy Boy, Ralapele, Ivan Gavazov, Paul Economist, Tom, Ed Morton, and Lincoln Adler for their direct responses to this question. Lots of other people have their thoughts and ideas as well. We'll be getting to those. But thank you to those individuals for directly responding to these points. So let's start off with the rating. Now, almost everybody has given a rating somewhere in the five or six region. Most, most of them are between four and six. I'm no maths teacher doing like a median or anything like that or a range. But basically, um, the lowest was three. The highest was 6.5. Okay. So Mitch, where would you have said your rating for this tour was? Uh, I would have sat between four and five, so maybe four and a half. Yeah, yeah four okay. and a half, cool. I'll go. Yeah, and I probably would have been about a four and a half or five if I was feeling generous. Um, five, five if I'm feeling still warm and fuzzy after the Wales win or just thinking about Nwanga Nishawase's two tries. So that, that would have got or me up to a five. with shirt off. Oh, damn, that's a six. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so uh, when we think about that, it just shows that people's expectations are quite high. People recognize that despite the 
near losses to France and Ireland and the wins against Scotland and Wales, the loss to Italy significantly changes the picture. And I'm betting that if we had won against Italy, it's probably sixes to sevens is probably the range that we're looking at here if we had won against Italy. I think realistically, you can't, like losing to Italy loses you five points. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Even regardless (laughs) of the team that we've picked and the circumstances around it, we lost to Italy. You can't score higher than five. Yep. Well, I can understand that view. So let's look at the rising stars now. I'm just going to quickly read out the names and you'll see the the fellas that keep getting picked. Noanganituase, Frost, McDermott, Noanganituase, Skelton, Jock, Campbell, Noanganituase, Frost, Holloway, Ikatau, Noanganituase, Ikatau, Most Brumbies, Most Brumbies, Noanganituase, 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 Frost, Noanganituase, Frost, Neville, Wellesiu, Alatoa, Noanganituase, Frost, Wright, Noanganituase, McDermott, Hodge, Noanganituase, Noanganituase. So that was very challenging to say that name so many times. But I've got, I've I think I got through it okay. Yeah. That hasn't been named by anyone yet. And it's yep. probably controversially not really a rising star, but I'll say Pete Samu. And I think he's yeah, shown sure. in these last few tests that he needs to start. He needs to be in the back row somewhere. And whether we now start looking at Pete Samu starting in the seven jersey with Hooper coming on in the 50th minute, uh, that might be something as as Wallabies fans we need to get adjusted to. Because yep. the impact that he's having and the way that he's playing at the moment has proven that he needs to be, he needs to be getting more than 20, 25 minutes a game. And he has the ability to turn games and he's just in such good form at the moment. He's technically not a rising star, I don't think, because he's already a star, <laughs> yep. but his star's risen. It's gone from uh, high to higher. It. I get it. Um, another player who was identified, and I'm including him within the comment of most Brumbies, is Frost. So Nick Frost had an exceptional tour, um, really, really benefiting from the last minute injury to Matt Phillip, right, as they were about to get on a plane, as well as the um, suspension and an injury of Darcy Swain as well within a tour. So uh, Nick Frost has been somebody that just come along in leaps and bounds to the point where he's the one playing a full 80, not Caden Neville, and it's Neville who's getting swapped out for, um, it was uh, Hannigan this week so that's just really really impressive and then if we go to the falling stocks there's one name that unfortunately for him uh is just repeated ad nauseum and that's Falau Fainga'a with a healthy dose of Robertson Gordon thrown in there as well Uh, a couple of people have named Hunter Paisami and Foley as well what do you think about Paisami's inclusion within the falling stocks it's one of those things that, I mean, I think I said it a few weeks ago on the podcast and a lot of Reds fans weren't too happy and sort of shot me down a little bit. But that whole theory that the Queensland Reds just aren't quite up to, I guess, scratch where the rest of the Super Rugby teams are. So there's particularly Australian Super Rugby teams are at the moment in terms of development. And that their players that are getting named and playing aren't quite firing as we might expect. So Paisami mm-hmm. has had a bit of a up and down year he he has had some good involvements we can't we can't say that he's not had some good involvements this year and he's not put in some good minutes and, and done some good things but overall i don't think he's having the impact that a player like len Ikitao is and he when we come to naming teams week in week out he hasn't put enough of a case forward to be named particularly when we have the likes of samu crevy out injured and that's what we need at the moment if we yep. can, if we can realistically name Reese Hodge as a potential 
um, like not like for like substitute, but a reasonable substitute for Hunter Paisami, then Hunter Paisami is not doing enough in my mind. Exactly. That's a really good comment there that if Hodge as a utility is playing as well as a starting 12, then the starting 12 isn't doing a job well enough. So, well, yeah, I really like and, that. And, and to, to say one thing though, like, as I said, it's not a like for like substitution because Hunter Paisami does things that uh, Reese Hodge doesn't Hodge do. Doesn't. Reese yep. Hodge is there for his ability to kick a ball 60 meters and, and hit a, a hit the goalpost. I mean, how many times has this bloke hit the goalpost? <laughs> if we could score, I think we need to change the rules. I'm just saying it now. We need to change the if rules. If you hit, if the, you goal hit the goal post from over halfway, then it's it one point. Counts. It's like AFL. It's like the con- consolation point for missing in AFL. This, if you hit the goal post, it's one point. And then we might I've always least... thought that's dumb, by the way. <laughs> it the is fact dumb. That you get one point for failing. Yeah. Um, but anyway. If it was a thing, how many times has this guy hit the goal post? It's crazy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, back to the original point, it's not a like for like. Reese Hodge does things differently than what Hunter Paisami does. But at the moment, particularly in this last test, I think we're starting to see that a player of Reese Hodge's versatility and the kick that he brings and just the experience is probably currently outweighing what Hunter Paisami brings, unfortunately. Interesting take there. Now, I was very, very impressed with Paul Economist's uh, joke of the falling stocks. His comment was, Rennie's 11 changes for Italy are in his falling stocks category. So very much appreciated that comment. And then moving on to the wish list, I'll quickly just run through these. No injuries in a Rugby World Cup semi-final. Figure out the injuries. Consistent selections. Rename the yellow card Wallabies gold. Getting a fully fit side. Um, Having a healthy squad. Needs a Royal Rumble to unpack the wish list more. Well, Rev, from the Rugby Fixation, you are going to get your wish. And I'm pretty sure you're going to be on the pod anyway. So that's going to be very (laughs) exciting. Um, Kick the Ref and the wants a Bledisloe on his wish list. Mick Ryan wants strength and conditioning. And others would like injury-free Wallabies. (laughs) Ryan Lonigan as the third scrum half. That's also on my wish list as well. And the Giddo Law revised. Rebels give Hodge a position to own strength and conditioning, no injuries, as well as England being eliminated in the pool stages of the Rugby World Cup. That's a really interesting thought that's come in from Kick the Ref and the Ghoulies. Now, if we're sitting 2023, if you have the option of the Wallabies winning either the Bledisloe or the World Cup, what would you take? World Cup, without a shadow of a doubt. Like, it's not even a question. Like, mm. World Cup. Okay. Uh, you obviously disagree? No, I don't disagree. I just, I don't know what I would take. I'd take either. I think at the current, in the current um, <laughs> economy, I'd take either. The way that we've been playing, the way that things have been forming. I mean, dream come true, we win both. Oh, can you imagine? Can you? No, I can't actually. I can't imagine. I can't remember the last time we won a blood as well. I'm not sure if I was born. But anyway. Um, you were definitely we, <laughs> I was definitely born, I know. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you everybody for participating in that, in those responses. It's been really fun um, seeing what people thought and particularly seeing the wish list. I wonder if we can put it together as a little bit of a um, submission to Santa for a gift this year. But either way, we had a lot of other questions, comments, and banter that came in. Mitch, why don't you start taking us through those? All right. Uh, We do have a fair few, so we might need to fly through a few of them, dear listeners. Um, Thank you for your contributions. All right. So Waterboy on Twitter, should the World Cup year be an amnesty with all hands on deck? No, in my mind, because... I wouldn't want that to set a standard for every four years. It doesn't matter where players are playing. I wouldn't mind if it's expanded out to say five 
or six. Yep. 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 Cool. But Willis, the aerial combo, the aerial combo of Marky and Pattaya has been exciting. Pattaya not as impressive, but still getting a bit lost in the Marky hype. He was super in the air last two games, especially against Wales during kickoffs. Could be a huge weapon. We'd love to see more of the two of them. Completely agree. That was a really, really good game from both of them. So I'm not sure if Wright is the best option to be at 15. Actually, yeah. I'd say he's not. Um, Kellaway would be a far better option in my mind just for a bit of security. But that being said, I still thought Wright played well and was that the three of them as a back three did quite well within this game. So I can't really take much away from them. Tomato Lemons, who is our first choice back three and who... Who are we dropping to include <laughs> Marky Mark? Kelly at 15 with Korobedi and Nwanganitawasi on the wings, question mark. Yeah, that's that's honestly my pick. Um, I think that Kellaway is probably the safer option, person that makes the right decisions at the right times uh, and is decent under the high ball as well. So it's probably those three for me. I also think that Kellaway needs to be picked at 15 for the Rebels this year. If they're going to yeah. put him in the centres yep. and use him like Hodge, then... Yep. We need a, a, a fullback and are probably leaning more towards Jock Campbell or someone like that. But I do like his brain. Can yep. And I'll just quickly jump in there about Nwangani Tawase. I'm not actually seeing him as a Rugby World Cup starting winger unless he has a blinder of a super rugby season. I'll just put that out there as well and gets more time in the Wallabies in the mid-year tests. So I just thought I'd say that. Like, I'm not saying other, right like, now he should be. Not just New South Wales fans need to be aware of the the winging, the wing stocks in New South Wales this year. Yeah. Mark Nwanganitawasi isn't guaranteed a starting wing spot in any way. We've got uh, Dylan Peach. We've got Nemi Nadalo. We've got Mark Nwanganitawasi. Um, who else do we have? Uh, 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 Who's the other wing? He's playing on the um, wing. Is Jorgensen, is he a winger? The, no, the league? no. 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 Anyway, um, regardless, that's a stacked, that's stacked options. That's four good options. Definitely. So I think he's, yeah, it's, it's been really, really impressive how he's grown this year, but he, he needs to have that time throughout 2023 to even be in the squad, to be in the touring party conversation for the Rugby World Cup. He's been great. Let's see if he can continue it and not just have uh, like three or four months of excellent performances. Yeah. Hugh Tindall, what would our attitude be like if we'd won five or five games on tour, even four or five with dropping the Italy game? Mate, dropping the Italy game is just the worst part of the entire tour. That's like, rough. if we, like, obviously, I'd be stoked if we beat France and Italy, uh, sorry, France and Ireland, but losing to Italy, like, you don't lose to Italy as a tier one nation. You just, you just don't. And so, you also don't lose to Georgia or Australia. <laughs> so, look, it's, it's, it's a bit of a challenging one. If we'd won five out of five, I'd be claiming we're bringing the World Cup home. <laughs> I'd just be so stoked. Uh, definitely would be a bit of a hyperbole within that comment, but I would be way over the top. Yeah. All right. Cool. Rugby fixation. Don't know who they are, but um, I'm sure some we'll random from more of them. Uh, a few pieces have quoted 51 players being used this year, and thus the need to call 18 of them to form our Carl. Sorry, 18 of them to form our 33 man World Cup squad. But which players that didn't play this year should still be in the reckoning? Anyone beyond Rodder? Yeah, in my mind, Brendan Payne Ramosa. Um, he is a player with a good recent Wallabies hooking opportunities, currently playing over... Is he playing at Racing? Um, he's definitely over in the top 14. And Bordeaux, he I has, think he's at. Okay. He's, he 
is probably our most experienced hooker who is not currently playing that doesn't have ongoing discipline issues like Tolu Latu has had. Um, so for me, BPA and all Latu would be in a reckoning just because our hooking stocks haven't been great. Outside of that, Rodder would be in the equation. Um, yeah, I don't really see anybody else kind of breaking into the picture at this stage. I'm going to throw a, a left field thought in and I'm going to go with Kurtley Bill. I still think that he might feature purely for his experience and his versatility. Uh, this week, it would have been in some ways better to have a player like Kurtley Bill slotting in at 12 instead of Reese Hodge. Uh, I think also with the Waratahs this year, we've got injuries now to both of our centers. So uh, Parisi and... Fakedi uh, are both out currently injured. I think Parisi should be back for the start of the season, but I think I'm I'm guessing that Kurtley Bill is probably going to play more minutes than initially expected this year for the Waratahs, um, due to those injuries. And if anyone does pick up any other injuries moving forward yep. through the season, and I wouldn't be surprised if he is someone who comes into reckoning later in in the second half come World Cup. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty excited for Joey Walton to get more time in the centres because of those injuries as well. He's a player that um, looked really good. Got did he do his Achilles or ACL or something? I think like he's that? done both ACLs. Oh bloody hell! Um, so he he's on a return in 2023 from injury. So I'm very keen to see him get a bit more game time because he was showing a lot of promise. But look, this worried. isn't about the Warriors. Yeah, I'll, really? I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll save it for next year. I'll save it for next we'll year. Save it, uh, we'll Michael, save it for later when it's super rugby. <laughs> yeah, Michael Tomlinson, assuming either Tate or Jake go to the World Cup, who should go on current form? Uh, Tate's win percentage under Rennie is over 50%. Jake's is 20%. And Jake has much ill discipline. So for me, it's Tate, but would love to hear your opinion. Yeah, in my mind, it depends upon what variety of playing style the coaches are looking for within a combination of nines that they pick, right? So Jake is a player who has a better passing game and a better distribution game that is able to play a style of game where you're playing off nine far more effectively than Tate McDermott can. can. But if we're not playing off nine as much as the Wallabies have been in the last few games particularly probably because our fly halves haven't been the greatest, then, and you have a stronger 10, then you probably would pick Tate McDermott over Jake Gordon. So in my in my opinion, it depends slightly on the type of game the Wallabies want to play. Nick White is on a plane without a shadow of a doubt. He's our best scrum half. He's going to be the starting scrum half for every Australian game next year yep. that he's available for. Outside of that, based upon the tour, I'd personally be leaning towards Tate. I think Jake unless he has a blinder of a super rugby season, has had too many errors and too many mistakes, even if I want to defend those errors and mistakes, for him to get a start over Tate. I, um, I'm i going to go the opposite uh, way of your theory there, Ando. I'll say that uh, at the moment, it's one thing we've sort of spoken about, and I have said this in the past, that take away the discipline issues, like take away those penalty, uh, the yellow cards that Jake Gordon's given away in these last two or three games. And I know that's a big, big factor that a lot <laughs> of people are focusing away. on. But yep. take those away yep. and just focusing on their actual performances. One thing that we've we've spoken about, and it's it's hard to sort of get a, a real gauge of which scrum half is better, because in most tests this year, other than when Nick White's playing, the scrum half that's come off the bench has looked better when it comes to uh, Jake Gordon and, and Tate McDermott. And it's happened both ways. When Tate started, he struggled and he's thrown bad passes. Jake Gordon's come on and he's straightened up the attack and he's 
you know, he, he's increased the speed of the game. This week, Jake Gordon started, Tate came on, and he's had a bit of a better interjection. So at the moment, like for like, I still think Tate, uh, Jake Gordon has more experience and has a little bit more of a, uh, a better rugby brain just currently due to his experience and how much older he is than, Jake, than Tate McDermott. If it comes down to either of those two, I personally would prefer to have Jake Gordon coming off the bench as opposed to Tate McDermott, purely because Jake Gordon's pass is better. But yeah. there's big asterisks there around those discipline issues. You don't want to bring on your scrum half and then get a yellow card for some stupid reason and all of a sudden you have your fly half who's now yep. uh, standing and, and filling in at that position, well particularly in a World Cup. So big 12 months to come. Big, uh, big Super Rugby Pacific season to see which player really puts their hand up um, we'll shift across to the Facebook questions now. So Ed Morton on Facebook, to a rating, I think if we had it beaten Italy, we should have had, which we should have, and close losses to Ireland and France, you would have given an 8 out of 10. But the loss is, but that loss to, it dropped it back. The loss to Italy <laughs> dropped it back to five. Sorry, I'm trying to piece this English together. Marky Mark, clearly rising star out of the best players across the entire series. And to the and as to the future, two things better. Strength and conditioning to deal with a significant injury toll. Cohesiveness and consistency. We can do those things. We will put ourselves being a real contender for the World Cup. Is that the first time we've said cohesion so far in this podcast? Well, Technically, I, th I think Ed it is. It, so, oh, oh, okay. Well, um, I think we were copying some crap with the use of the word cohesion, but there you go. It wasn't <laughs> us that brought it in. <laughs> uh, Carlos on Carlos also says, "I was happy about the fact that the bench was used with adequate time for the finishers to actually make a difference." Yeah, yeah, really good shout. So I like the fact that we introduced a lot of players around that 50 to 55th minute mark, uh, particularly the introduction of Noah Lulisi with about 25 minutes left to make an impact yep. of the game, I thought was really good. Um, you had spoken about this previously where players had been brought on a little bit too late and maybe the time wasn't being managed particularly effectively, but the bench was able to come on and make a real impact in this game. And it, it does kind of raise the question of like, Noah looked good when he came on, but in my mind, it wasn't actually about the fly half. In my mind, it was the, the pack was playing better. The pack wasn't get bullied, wasn't getting bullied around the park. So it made it look as though Noah had more time, more space and more opportunities on the ball. Mm -hmm. But it's actually just what every fly half needs is a pack to be dominating, then he looks good. So I don't think there was much to split between Noah and Ben Donaldson this weekend. I thought both of them were quite good. Ben's kicking was fantastic. He had some good out-the-back plays in kind of second-phase play. Um, yeah, I thought they were both serviceable and did a decent job. And the question is, and this is what I've been talking about for the last few weeks, Noel Alessio has had, what, 20 caps for the Wallabies now? 25? Maybe not 25, maybe around 20. And Ben Donaldson, this is his first start. And so we're now saying we've invested so much time and years and Dave Rennie has struggled with his development over the years, in, out, in, out, start, don't start, do we need you, we don't want you, that sort of thing with Noah Alessio. But if Ben Donaldson, after six months in the Wallaby setup, can come and have the same impact as Noah Alessio, maybe we now need to start looking at other options. And that that was that's just a, a little thought that I've had for a while now. And, and yep. I mean, it boils down to this, simply this, the more Waratahs wearing gold, the better. And that's the simple Look, fact. There's a lot to be said. I think we can leave that there and move on. <laughs> Joe Elliott on Facebook. I know there have been massive number of injuries, but selection is an issue. 
looked a lot more coherent when Noah Tate and Co came on. Also, what does Samu got to do to be a starter? Um, Samu probably just has to stop being good across multiple positions to be a starter. He is just your quintessential, what, 19, um, somebody that can fill all back row positions competently. Um, and a couple, he could even start in a couple of positions excellently. So he is just a victim of his own ability. So that's, I'm not too sure what else he needs to do. I mean, Tim Horan was suggesting that he starts at seven and Hooper comes off the bench. That's possible because I guess if your six or your eight goes down, you just shift Samu across and bring Hooper on anyway. Yeah. So it could well be that he he gets a start. And I mean, <sighs> Hooper coming on with 30 minutes to go. Think of the damage and the energizer bunny nature he would be. <laughs> but at the same time, like I, I know I did, I did s- support that theory earlier in the pod, but at the same time, like Samu has a much better impact because he's a bigger body than Hooper when he comes mm. off the bench. And one mm. of the other points we, I think Darren Coleman raised it earlier this year when we were talking around the Waratah selections in one of the post-match press conferences. Uh, from memory, it was it was before Hooper was back, and it wasn't around Gamble. I think it might have been Harris, Will Harris or Langy Gleason. For we were we were talking about why you couldn't have an out and out seven on the bench when you have a versatile player who's able to play. Kylo Tizano, maybe. That might have been why, yeah, why Kylo Tizano wasn't getting minutes was because DC said, we just can't afford to have just a seven on the bench. We need someone with that versatility. And at the moment, I think it's the same for Samu. Samu is that versatile player. And so he is able to be put on the bench, whereas someone like McWright or Hooper, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. Like if if Rennie named a, a bench... With Nola Lessio at ten and Michael Hooper at, at the replace like nineteen or the replacement yep. Um, yep. flanker, two out and out one position players, he'd be sacked on the spot. There'd be <laughs> a mass outcry. So, uh, mate, definitely no hyperbole there. But a, a back row of Holloway at six, um, Samu at seven, and Valentini at eight is actually quite versatile as well. Yeah. So like. At a pinch, Holloway can play eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valentini can play six and eight. And Samu can play six, seven, and eight. So with Holloway can those, play four or five too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's probably going to play a lot of lock over this coming Super Rugby season as yeah. well. So anyway, I think we do need to keep going. Yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> we Simon do, do. Goff, hey guys, can we pencil Marika and Marky Mark in on the wings for the Rugby World Cup at this point? It was nice to see the bench got a proper crack and have some impact in a fully fit Wallabies 23 is there a place for McWright at all? I think he's a gun super rugby player. And then it cuts off, unfortunately. So I'm not sure what else he had to say there. I guess that <laughs> that first question, can we pencil in Marika and Marky Mark on the wings now? Uh, yeah, I think we can pencil in. Well, actually, not even think. We can pencil in Marika. That's no doubt. Well, he, he doesn't I'm, need a yeah, Sharpie. Sharpie here yeah. and he's starting. He's just naturally there. He's like, the only Wallabies player appears. who made the World Rugby Team of the Year. Yeah, it's true. Um, and so, I mean, I've already answered my thought about Nwangi Tawase. He needs a super rugby season and more performances in a Wolby's goal to have that wing spot. It's promising though. I think we can pencil in. I, I think we can because we don't have another winger that has the impact that Marky has brought or the skill set. Tom Wright isn't that player. He's not good in the with the high ball. He doesn't have that ability to to break the line as much as Mark Nwangi Tawase has. So... For a like-for-like replacement, I don't think we have another 
player in Australian rugby at the moment that has that same impact. I think we, I would, I would pencil him in. I would be giving him that start in that first test next year and see how he goes. Pending, like you said, Ando, a good Super Rugby Pacific season this year. Yeah. Um, one of the questions that Simon Goff has, I got back, I got his comment back, so it's not cut off. Um, he thinks that McWright is a gun Super Rugby player, but Simon Hooper, obviously, a notch above. Could Wilkin take over McWright's position in a pecking order if he stays fit and continues his Aussie A form? Uh, I think that Rev, Mitch Evans from Rugby Fixation Podcast would definitely believe that. Um, mostly because he's mates with Wilkin. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that it's an interesting shout. It's, it just shows a disadvantage of a player being on a fringe of the Wallaby squad versus getting regular game time in Australia A. So McWright basically got no time across the rugby championship, but then he had players playing in the Oh, he did. When, when Hooper wasn't there, he he played the later uh, the, half. The latter half. Uh, you're right. I guess I should have said that. I mean, Hooper missed the second Argentina test and then he played the rest of the champs. So yeah, Hooper true. only played one test in the rugby champs. Anyway. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, anyway, okay, let's keep on going. And we were up to Tim Foster. Has Marky Mark done enough this year for the Tars and Rugby Australia to sign him up long-term? And could he be the long-term solution for the Wallabies on the wing and fullback? I think we've spoken a fair bit about Marky Mark. Should he be on a long-term contract, Mitch? Definitely. I mean, if I was a rugby league team, I would be circling him for sure. He, he's, a, he's a player with potential for sure. There's no way that you wouldn't be. And I think he comes from a league background at school. So... Um, we need to throw the book at him at the moment. I think he is on on a good contract for the next few years at least. So I don't think yep. we have to worry about losing him soon. But yeah, he does look like a good option at the moment as a potential fullback or wing. Um, ask Craig what he thinks. I think he's been calling for Mark to be Wallaby's yep. fullback for two years or something now. Yeah, something. And I mean, I love Craig to bits, but he, he puts a lot of ideas out there. This might be one of them that comes off. And if so, this is his idea. It. Like this is his, this is the idea from Bologna. The idea. He's yeah, been yeah, like yeah, living yeah. off this idea other than the force <laughs> being the best team in the Southern hemisphere. But um, he's been living <laughs> off this idea for years. So if it, if it pulls off, we might start to have to re reevaluate some of his tweets and actually see the genius <laughs> behind it. <laughs> okay. Why don't we keep on going? Uh, we only have a few left. So thank you. I'll take over to save your yep. voice and I'll throw these ones to you. This is from uh, Niall or Neil Malloy. Is it just me or are the Wallabies in much better shape 11 months out from the Rugby World Cup than the media slash recent results would suggest? There's good depth in most positions, great young talent coming through and clearly a culture where the boys love playing with each other. If they can sort out their unforced errors slash discipline, find a 10 who's in form and get a bit of luck along the way, I can genuinely see them being contenders. Like the the Wallabies fan of me wants to so tightly say, yes, definitely. <laughs> we are in a good way. Uh, but at the same time, like some of these injuries are really big injuries. Like we don't know. These Achilles injuries to both Cooper and Tupo, we're hoping and praying at this point that they'll both be fit for the World Cup. But there's a chance they won't. If they have any form of delay in their rehab or re-injury or whatever, they miss out on the World Cup completely. And both of those players are, are players that Rennie would be banking on being in that 33-man squad. So I think we still, we do, we have started to build depth. But as we've seen in this Italy game and in the, the game this week, that even that depth isn't necessarily at the right level to be winning World Cups. They're at a level to maybe pass us off in a rugby champs game or a tight game against Fiji or Japan. But 
at the moment they're not necessarily World Cup beaters. If we come up against an inform France team or an inform uh, South yep. Africa or English team. Uh, Galpo78, why isn't Sami starting? He's been awesome. Great energy over the ball, destructive in attack, and brings good energy. Uh, I think we've already spoken to that. Agree, victim of his own versatility, but he has been fantastic. We've got Conrad Mackendo. Love that. Are the injuries and persistent discipline issues on Rennie? It seems with the latter, it has and continues to hamstring the team. We aren't going anywhere because we keep losing games in large part due to our ill discipline. Mitch. Yeah, short answer, yeah. The <laughs> ill-discipline issue hasn't left. We still gave away 11 penalties in this game. I think there was one point in like the 15th or 16th minute of this test match where we'd given away seven penalties to two or something. Like It was, yeah, yeah. We'd given away so many early on that there's no way a team can just get into the flow of a game when they're giving away so many penalties. It even starts to put the referees off and that starts to get... To those marginal calls go against you because you've been so ill-disciplined early on. It's We've been speaking about it so much and it is something that Rennie does need to fix up. We can bring in the cavalry. We can bring in Skelton, Samu, uh, Karevi, Cooper, Tupo, all of these great players, the best players available for the Wallabies. But if they're going to give away silly penalties at the rucks and the breakdown and the, and, and the scrums, then there's no way that we're going to be able to compete. So we do need to address that area and we need to address it over this this next season. Yeah, we're very well said, my friend. Very well said. Um, next up, we have Rugby Bloke. How big of a role do you think Australia A played in helping the Wallabies across the year, especially with the injury toll? So for this one, it's I personally think it's incredibly significant because if you look at Nolan Itawase, Ben Donaldson, um, Langy Gleeson as well, Caden Neville also got all the game time in Australia 8 program as well. You've got a whole uh, Tom Robertson, Lockie Lonigan, Ned Hannigan, um, Jock Reece Campbell Hodge. too. Yep. You've just got so many players who have come from the Australia A program who have been able to step in and within this game, within this game, uh, put out a good performance. And I mean, they weren't particularly great against uh, Italy, obviously. Uh, some of the players that came in, but within this game, they have performed really quite well. And so it just shows you that, I mean, the Australia A program may not be perfect, but it has been a welcome improvement on nothing, if that makes sense. <laughs> but some of the some of the things that we were speaking about from that Italy game too, that the selection issues that we made and the cohesion theory, like we Ooh. had Noel Alessio with Jake Gordon. They'd never played together before. Or they played very small amounts of minutes together. So this test, we named Jake Gordon and Ben Donaldson, who have at least played at least half a season of Super Rugby Pacific together. So we're we're starting to make better decisions around tactics and um, and selection just with these young guys as well. And I think that is a massive point that we we yep. probably did them a bit of a disservice in that Italy game as well. All right. Well, I think there's no better way to finish off the pod than a rant from Christy and Willie K. Now, again, I'm not going to read out the whole thing, but I think I will read out their wish list for 2023 with Super Rugby, well, with Australian rugby. I wish Lonigan was 10 kilograms heavier. I wish Karevi isn't allowed to play sevens ever again. I wish all the injured players don't have these injuries destroying their careers because some of them will be hard to come back from. And finally, I wish we could just enjoy a win by 20 or 30 
points. So my heart rate doesn't sit around 180 beats per minute during these games. Christian Willie K, completely agree. Close losses or close wins of the type that we had over the weekend do not help my life expectancy and my heart rate. <laughs> uh, but either way, it is the lot of being an Australian rugby fan. And for now, it is great to be able to finish the international season on a win. And it is great to be able to finish this podcast on a positive. Australia has won. Let's bask in the glory until February when a super rugby season comes off. I will just say that we do have the next round of the sevens competition, which is yep. happening this coming weekend. So both the men and the women are playing. The men coming off their victorious Hong Kong sevens campaign and the women kicking off their World Series titles defense. So make sure you tune in. It's on KO or be in sports. So steal someone's login or do a free trial if you don't have that. Mm -hmm. But either way, make sure that you watch those games and get Yeah, second and third of December for those games. And then Correct. I think that's the last one for this year and the first leg for next year is in Sydney. So yep. if you're yep. a Sydney or just Australian-based rugby fan, get to Sydney, get behind this team because it's going to be an awesome atmosphere, awesome tournament at the new Allianz Stadium. It's going to be absolutely peach. Can't wait for it. Can't wait. Well, Mitch, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming back. Glad to have you back in the country. Good to be Glad back. To be back Good pod. to be talking about a win after we could have been talking about uh, a near winless uh, tour for the Wallabies. Uh, if we and even yeah, that, body that month of defeats, mate. A month of defeats. That win been. against that Scotland really, we didn't deserve it. So it's it's good to to finish on a high. It's good to see the boys put in a good performance in the last twenty minutes or so of that last test. And uh, as you said, Ando, we can ride this victory right through to the first game of, I guess it's the rugby champs now because we don't have uh, the the July Correct. tests. Correct. Uh, so rugby World championships, um, which will obviously be in the middle of the year next year, but obviously prior to that, Super Rugby Pacific kicking off in February. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for getting to this point of the pod. We'll be back for a live Royal Rumble in a few weeks. Check out our socials for when that finally is. Uh, and do get along to that. Do uh, watch live because we can interact with fans as well. So we want your questions and comments to be able to respond to live as well. We'll see you all then. All right. Catch ya. Bye. Bye.